This episode of Eye to Eye is brought to you by Janique Locks. If you're in the 757 and interested in getting locks, she is the one to go to. Specializes in all kinds of locks, dreadlocks, micro locks, sister locks, extensions, interlocks, interlocking, and more. To set an appointment, feel free to check her out on Facebook, Janique Locks. That's G-E underscore N-I-Q-U-E Locks. On Instagram, at Janique Locks, or simply visit her website, JaniqueLocks.com. Janique Locks, where locks are envied. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's get this podcast. Nation. This is really, really sad. I need, I need justice to come back because <laughs> that was actually stronger than last week. <laughs> Dude, I just, I want to stick to my guns on this, but I, it's taking all the fun out of it, man. Come on, bro. Come on. Uh, <sighs> yeah. yeah, whatever. Ladies and gentlemen, very sad. Hello. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, how's everybody out there? Welcome once again. Uh, to the latest and greatest episode of I to I, short for Inspired to Inspire, the podcast that is all about being open and honest and real and having conversations about life and faith. And as always, you know that we are willing to boldly go where most folks ain't trying to. And guess what? <laughs> Act like that's not going to be happening this evening. Nah, I'm just joking. <laughs> it is. <laughs> nah. But uh, no, anyway, no, my name is Jordan. And my name is Devin. And we, of course, are glad to have you guys rocking with us. And on this episode, we're going to have conversations. We got people that we need to remember once again because uh, COVID or no COVID, 2020 is transitioning people <laughs> into eternity yeah. quicker than I don't know what. Uh, also, talk that happened to do with uh, uh, Christians and, and politics and, and why all of that is messed up. And also, we will be talking about how messed up people are addressed by messed up people. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess that's all broad enough. Anyway, whatever. Uh, yeah, Dev, how you doing, man? Well, I'm doing pretty good after Anthony Davis hit that three. So, yeah. Kobe. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun season right now. You know, we're getting a little bit of normalcy back in a sense. We have uh, playoff basketball, got to watch the U.S. Open, NFL started. Uh, there's a chance that my oldest will be back in the classroom next Tuesday. You know, things are, things are trending upward, uh, at least for me in my own little world. Uh, the world at large is, is still very much 2020. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 How about you? Yeah, man. Um, I'm going to be honest. I am positively losing my mind. Uh, and, and that's actually a good thing. So that's good. Um, for those who don't know, uh, I actually accepted a new position uh, that has put me in the throes of madness on pretty much everything that we're talking about here. 
from racial conciliation and, and, and justice standpoints. Uh, I am now the director of an organization called the Urban Renewal Center uh, based out of Norfolk, Virginia. And our mission is to awaken society to its promised wholeness. You know, so, I mean, that's it's pretty big. Pretty big deal. Um, and actually has, yeah, you know, I mean, it's for Norfolk, but it has really, really global implications. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm just honored to do that. Still honored to be on team uh, over at the Bible College as well. So, you know, I, I'll put all my shameless plugs in here. If you're interested in getting an education, uh, you know, wavecollege.edu. And if you're interested in making a difference, uh, www.theurcnorfolk.com. Yeah. <laughs> what a shill. <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Um, and, you know, we need help because like all nonprofits, uh, galvanizing uh, volunteers and philanthropic engagement is is definitely a thing. Um, but, you know, just uh, excited and, and really, really busy. And of course, still want to continue this labor of love. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been real. It's been a real season. It's, it's been a good season, though. And you know, now I get to explain to people why Jesus believes that Black Lives Matter. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was an, that was an intentional throw clear too, though it, yeah. it, it was necessary. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah, but anyway, so uh, where where do we want to start tonight, Mister Chandler? You know, you shared a article with me that is entitled "How Do Christians?" Uh, oh, where's the whole thing? How do Christians fit into the two party system? Question mark. They don't. And this was written, uh, looks like, almost exactly two years ago. Um, and uh, I don't think that it's, uh, <laughs> it may not have been as prudent when it was written as it is now. Um, this is, you know, I know a lot of people are, historians will say, this is not the most, uh, you know, cutthroat election. This is not the most separated our country has been. We went through a civil war. We had a former treasurer and a sitting vice president shoot each other. Like, okay, yes, I, I get that. Okay, <laughs> yes, I know. I, I'm a big fan of the musical if you haven't heard. Um, but it, it's, it's the most divisive that I can remember in my lifetime. Okay, so yes, I didn't fight or deal with the civil war. I imagine it was a little bit tense there. <laughs> but just a touch, but, but you know, we're dealing with what we're dealing with. And this is far more tense than it was when, uh, Romney was running against, uh, Obama. It's, uh, far more tense than when McCain was running against Obama. It's far more tense than when Trump was running against Hillary. It's, uh, you know, ongoing and ongoing. It is far more tense than any elections that I can remember. And, it is interesting to see how Christians navigate this stuff. And if you spend any time on Facebook uh, or social media in general, uh, you, you get an idea of how that goes. And uh, I just want to reiterate the thought that I had had, I think when I had kind of first come on the podcast with you, Jordan, we started partnering up when I had shared something that I had heard from somebody named Chuck Klosterman who talked about how on social media, you get who people really are. Right. You don't get that on Sundays at church because over the last couple of years, regardless of what side of the aisle you fall on, people are surprised when they see things that you might post on social media. Um, I've had people tell me that 
prior to posting some of the things that I have posted or talking out about equality, that they always thought that I was a conservative Republican Christian. <laughs> and it's weird how they lump all three of those together. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, uh, there are people who get enraged uh, when people identify uh, too far to the right. And what's what's weird right now is what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing is that in churches, I, I know our own, I don't know, I imagine this is something that's going on nationwide, but people are actually leaving churches who are on the far ends of both sides. Because when you don't affiliate with a party and you don't, affiliate with an ideology that isn't just Jesus, you will lose people who can't stand or who have bought into the all or nothing mentality of what politics is in America today. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about at all, man. <laughs> yeah. John MacArthur. Um, <laughs> bro, I have spent countless hours scrutinizing this process over the past few weeks intentionally. Uh, for a few reasons. I know one of them is because on the podcast, we we hope to actually do a roundtable uh, next month because I really just want to ask people, what are you thinking? And not in a crazy way like, you know, many of us have been doing. Again, have you watched Facebook? Duh. Um, but, you know, really, what do you think? Like, what what is what is going on in, in, in Christians' minds concerning uh, why they feel the way that they feel? Um, it becomes very clear when you look at the social infrastructures of, of things like media handles and things that there are single story narratives that people are abiding by on both sides. Um, there is one side in particular, objectively just call a spade a spade. Um, and that is a conservative side uh, that is actually pushing the rhetoric that if you are not voting on their side, then you must not be Christian. Uh, that's not all of them, but that is a good deal of them. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the other side where you know, they're pretty much sick and tired of what they are seeing as a historic systemic conditioning that now has people believing, you know, it's it's a completely different type of gospel than that you would, would, would see in the Bible and, and that they're completely okay with it. On, and on the other side, uh, you know, they've kind of gone to the extremes of making sure that they can welcome all people. And if we're being real, in some senses, that means that argumentatively they've compromised the gospel to an extent. There is no party here that is fully right, fully complicit or contrite with biblical standard. Um, everybody needs to be held accountable to a certain extent. And well, dag nabbit, I'm just about freaking tired of both of them. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, for, for what it's worth, no, I am not one who is middle of the road, uh, because I'm pretty sure that's one of the first things that somebody can say. I definitely have my views. Um, but more than that, I also have my convictions. And here's my issue. Um, I think that on both sides, we are seeing that people have uh, conflated their views with their convictions. And what we are now seeing is, you know, let me, how many, how many episodes do I need to say this, these, these words? Uh, we've, we've seen environmental absolutism at its finest. Uh, and it's playing itself out in these in these social spheres where people are going at each other. And of course, you know, this this goes back to my, you know, my A1 day one understanding of why I can't stand this. Because people who may not be believers on the outside looking in are taking a look at this and they're just like, yo, these Christians are clowns. Hear me when I say that. Clowns. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they want nothing to do with it. And I'm just like, yo, you're, you're hurting the body. You are literally shooting us in the foot and I need you to cut it out. And so, you know, that's, that's the reason why I sent you this because, you know, Timothy Keller is, is an amazing man. Um, I champion him. I'm praying for him right now. He is battling pancreatic cancer. It's one of the illest cancers you can battle. Yeah. Um, and as he's doing that, he's still being subject to the Jews who think that they are um, theologically overstating stuff that they feel he understates. And really what I've noticed about him, and if you don't know who he is, he's actually a Presbyterian pastor, uh, pastors of church smack dab in the middle of New York City, uh, Redeemer. And their church is as old school as they come. They believe in all the old liturgical practices, the stand-up sit-downs, the ha-ha-ha-ha-ha, you know, pick a creed, put that in there. I believe in God the Father Almighty. They, they believe in all that, bro. Um, yet they still attract one of the largest, if you want to call it a crowd, but they have uh, one of the largest congregations in, in, in the city. And, you know, people ain't all about this old school stuff no more. So something that he is doing is right. And there's a lot of stuff that he does. Um, and if you ever want to, you can kind of research it. And he, you know, I'm sure he'll gladly explain it to you. But, you know, he makes these very, very profound statements from time to time. And he also does these brilliant essays. He does these brilliant sermons. Um, he's actually been re-releasing sermons that he did like 15 years ago on his podcast. And a lot of them are dealing directly with social justice, as a matter of fact. So, you know, he's been talking about stuff like this for a minute. And for some reason, he decided that he was going to repost this article that he did in the New York Times two years ago. And like, like you were saying, like, I, it's, it's fitting is the, is the best way to yeah. put it. And so, yeah, we just kind of wanted to, you know, pick apart some of, uh, some of the parts that kind of stood out to us. And we're going to, we're going to dissect that. But, you know, I, I got a prayer in this, y'all. Honestly, it's to the point where clearly there's a lot of division. And now we know that there's division because there's people fighting saying that there's not division, but we're causing division. But you wouldn't make that statement if the division wasn't already there. <laughs> let's just let's just be real. So, you know, I just I, I pray that folks are really listening to this. And I don't care what side you're on, because like I said, both of y'all get on my nerves right now. Um, and again, I'm not middle of the road. I will be voting for somebody. <laughs> you, if you want to ask me who the heck I'm voting for, that's fine. I'll tell you. I don't need to tell you that on, on, on this podcast. But just understand, I have my reasons. I'm glad to share them. Uh, and I'll be fully open and honest with you because that's really what this is about. This is about understanding that in the Bible, there were politics, but there was not partisanship. Right. Um, in the Bible, there was definitely a, a means of, of understanding government and processing government. There were people in government. We're going to talk about that in a second because it was a part of the essay. Um, but there was no single story narrative. There was no need or desire to push control on certain topics. And there most certainly was not underhanded nonsense like what we're seeing today. Um, and again, that's both sides. So yeah, I'm going to shut up. Let's just go ahead and start this uh, conversation <laughs> here. Where, 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 where do you want to start, Dev? Because I can do this ish all night. Well, you know, you can, you can actually kind of tell that it's poignant not because just Democrats and, and Republicans are at odds with each other. In fact, just recently on Facebook, I saw two people who I know to be a very Republican have an argument in, in a sense that caused some hurt feelings and some uh, things to be said that probably wouldn't normally be said among two people who uh, I know respect each other. And yet they're both on the same side. But there's a tension that we've been feeling when just a simple thing like equality is at odds with ideology. And 
that immediately makes people feel like they're on the defensive. And it's just, it's so frustrating to see this all or nothing. You know, the only thing that us as Christians need to kind of be all or nothing on is Christ himself. The rest of it is, it doesn't work that way. It's not absolute. And so when people think Mm -hmm. that their position is absolute because for some reason they think that the Bible backs that up, when in reality, I mean, it simply doesn't, you know, there's been a lot of talk about fascism and, you know, anger and different things like that. And, you know, I would just, I want to point out, uh, I've been reading second Corinthians. And if you look at second Corinthians, uh, eight, 13 through 15, it says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, so as it is written, which means this was a precedent prior to Paul writing this letter, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. And the word that stuck out to me there was gathered, because it's not simply having. Gathered means they actually put in the work and the effort and the time to acquire, and yet they still gave to those who didn't gather enough, those who may not have worked as hard, those who may not have put in the same effort, they did it anyway. Boy, that uh, that sounds a little Marxist. And uh, <laughs> uh, so I was, was going to set it up with the with the rhetorical question. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. so it's just interesting to me that we we just constantly are throwing baby out with the bathwater in any of these debates. And you know, I, I don't I don't say that I have a unique perspective just simply to give myself some cachet, but I will say that you know, 10, 15 years ago, I was a an avid Fox News watcher. I was somebody who certainly thought, I don't know how on earth anyone could be a Christian and be a Democrat. Um, the pro-life issue was a major one. The uh, same-sex marriage was a major one. Um, capitalism is our friend. Uh, and I've really kind of come full circle in, in, you know, evaluating that stuff. But the way that I've evaluated it is not through media is not through news. I, I've become more educated about how the system works and kind of what we're experiencing. But the way that I really started changing is twofold. One was having kids, um, which amazingly will soften your heart in ways that you don't understand. <laughs> and I needed, uh, I needed my heart softened. And two was going and taking some classes at uh, Wave Leadership College and learning more about how to properly read and understand and study the Bible. And when you do that with context, you understand the Bible is is telling you things that have truth on both sides because the Bible doesn't pick sides. Oh, you didn't just say that. No yeah. way. Uh, no I did. Way. You know, you, you say every week, we're willing to boldly go. And this what's is funny true. is when you I'm live in truth, that's not even bold. <laughs> it's not a yeah. bold statement. <laughs> no, it's really not. And I mean, that's the whole thing because, you know, if if I'm looking at, especially I'm looking at the Bible on a, on a broad brush level, you know, and we're talking about people like Jesus, we're talking about people like David, we're talking about people like Paul, all of them, you know, their rhetoric is always couched in some type of radicalism. And by that, I just basically mean they're saying stuff that sounds outlandish mm-hmm. it, to the people that they are speaking to in their culture. You know what I'm saying? There's there is something in that to to give us a sense of comfort 
when we have to say the things that we know people are going to freak out over because in our current culture, there are certain understandings. You know, there's a certain phenomenon, there's, there's certain dynamics that have presented themselves now and they're not new. They're not out of the blue. You know, I'm reading about a, a, a book right now um, from a lady by the name of Kristen Dumay that's called Jesus and John Wayne. Yep. And it is basically laying out how masculinity has kind of compromised the gospel and fractured our nation. And yeah, go there on that conversation because that has a lot to do with the stuff that we've been discussing already, Christian nationalism and fundamentalism. And the thing about that is, uh, and what you were just saying, when it comes to deciphering, rightly dividing the word of God, uh, these folks believe in keeping it really, really simple. And it's almost primitive. And I don't know if you remember primitive, but when you hear primitive concerning churches, for example, the one that you would hear most often is Westboro Baptist Church. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and just remember, we talked about them before. You know, that is the the extreme nature of some of the conversations that we could have about just like this. But this is what I will say. You know, if we're talking about things being subject to interpretation, uh, I never have a problem with an individual who presents me with their findings as to why they would interpret something and and determine that it is what it is according to them if they can give me their findings. Mm-hmm. This new, you know, I don't, I don't know what you want to call it, movement, whatever the case may be, this new sect of folks that's not new, but they're still new because they're, they're, they're full frontal now. They, they weren't really full frontal like this for, for a minute. Um, they can't give you squat. No. I mean, they just, they really just can't. Or, you know, if they give you something, they're giving it to you from a commentary of an individual who officially has lost his mind. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. No, I'm serious. And, you know, I, the thing is, I've looked at a MacArthur commentary probably like once or twice. Um, but I know other individuals who really depended on his stuff. Sure. You know, even Stephen Furtick made mention of using it frequently. Um, and then, of course, John MacArthur goes and calls the man unqualified. We talked about that before, too. Yeah. You know, a lot of that <clears throat> is... Is it, I don't know. It's it's it's. I wish that it felt like it was rare, but I'm starting to realize that that's more the norm than than it's ever been before. And you know, one of the reasons that I did bring up this article specifically is because of how they've taken the simplicity of these passages in their eyes, and they've made it to fit the mold of this political or really this partisan infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and that's just dealing specifically with white evangelicalism. It's not that that doesn't happen on the other side, but this is the one that is, you know, this is the one that, that really does most of its grandstand workings. You know, they've always had the quote unquote celebrities. They've had the, you know, the Falwells. They've had um, the, the Franklin Grahams, you know what I'm saying? And, and even to an extent, you know, you can start looking at different colleges that have kind of fit the mold for this. Bob Jones University is the most infamous because they were the one that believed still in segregation. Right. And even when they allowed black students on campus, they were not allowed to date interracially. Mm-hmm. And this is a biblical university. So if you're doing that, then, you know, what do you do to, to, to reconcile something like Moses and his wife? Because clearly they weren't the same. Because if not, Miriam and Aaron wouldn't have had an issue with a homegirl. You know, th- these are the things that they don't bother looking at. And it's real, real simple material to study. I haven't even had a chance to break down all of the real, you know, the background, the culture, the infrastructure, and everything else. 
Yeah. And then we can take it to the narrative and start talking about the scene, the characters, the setting, the plot. You know, they they don't bother looking at this stuff, apparently. I mean, I could be wrong. Please, they can prove me right. I got no problem with that. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that the article talks about is when you do kind of play the middle, which is what the church does, their their intention is in the right place when they're trying to play the middle because they are trying to keep it focused. But at the same time, there are moments and there are situations. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud of our church because when, you know, George Floyd lost his life, uh, action was taken to really discuss that and really discuss where our country's at when it comes to equality and when it comes to police brutality. And we were a part of a march and, you know, I, I hope that the momentum can continue there because it's something that our country and our world has dealt with for, you know, centuries. And it's something that we need to continue to focus on as opposed to just kind of letting that flame die out. Um, so I hope we can do that. But there are times where you simply cannot just play down the middle where one side might be more biblical truth about something than the other side. And you need to simply call that out. You can't just be concerned about attendance numbers or, you know, tithe numbers or whatever it might be. You simply have to be concerned with what God wants you to be sharing with your congregation because you're the shepherd when you're a pastor and when you're dealing with that stuff. And, you know, one of the things the article talks about is when you are not discussing those types of things, then ultimately you are for the status quo. And I think it's interesting. I've heard, I heard the term, there's a, a conservative movement going on in America right now, which is such an oxymoron because conservative, basically the definition of that is you do not want to move from where you are. You do not want to progress. You do not want to change. You want the status quo. So when you identify yourself as a conservative, it means that you're either not willing to move or you're extremely slow in doing so, which in a lot of ways is simply opposite of what the Bible teaches us. You know, salvation is the first step to the then infinite steps you take the rest of your life to try to get as close to being Christ-like, which is an unattainable goal in this life as you can be, which means that you must progress at an infinite level to try to get to where Christ is calling you to be. So when you call yourself a conservative and yet you believe in something that is demanding you to progress beyond any human barriers that you could possibly imagine, those two things are at complete odds with one another. Yeah. Well, you know, Jesus is at odds with everybody. Um, that's funny you were talking about just the uh, pastors, uh, having to potentially risk loss of congregation. You know, I look at that all the time. And no, I'm not a pastor, so I, I'm, I'm going to have to put myself in a position of sympathy and maybe some empathy, but I always remember John 666. And of course, you know, it's the infamous number of all numbers. Uh, but if you look at it, John 666 basically just says that Jesus had a whole mess of disciples and they decided after he said something that they were going to stop following him with the exception of the 12. And, you know, for me... The kingdom is not about talk. It is about um, power, but it's about Holy Spirit power, not this power that everybody's trying to, to, to gain with political access and things of that nature. 
And also, it should be about trust and faith, you know, because that's what this is. This is the faith. Like, you know, ask me if I'm a Christian, I'm going to ask you what you mean by definition of Christian. But if you want to talk about (laughs) faith, I can definitely say faith. And if there's one thing I know about faith, again, we've had this, Lord Jesus, this this is the repetitive episode where we realize we've talked about all this before, but whatever. Um, You know, we, we begin to to use certain words. And one of the biggest words you have to use is uncertainty. We don't know what's around the corner. You know, what happens if you actually speak out against these things because you know that the Bible would address them as such and people leave your church? You know what? I don't want to say so what, because that would be really, really insensitive of me. I get it. But at the same time, I feel like certain pastors now recognize recognize that they put themselves in a position where they knew they should have said something previously. For the ones that were ignorant, not a problem. You know, I pray and let's talk it out. Let's walk it out. Um, But I got a funny feeling there were a lot of pastors. There were a lot of leaders and companies even. Let's just, you know, let's let's broaden it out just a little bit more. uh, That knew that what they were doing was probably either at best, not best practices, but in most cases, severe malpractice because their silence, or even in some cases, their vocal violence was continuing to oppress people that didn't need to be oppressed. Yep. And, you know, now they find themselves in a situation where they have to pivot. And that pivot is probably the most difficult thing that they will ever do in their entire life, but it has to be done because if not, then they are pretty much abiding in the fact that they're wrong is where they want to stay. Mm-hmm. You know, call this another line in the sand episode. But I think I'm at the point now where I, I can say comfortably that if God hit the pause button and the reset button and the you can't go anywhere, so you got to watch this for eight minutes and 46 seconds button. <laughs> um, you know, he's, he's, hit, he's hit all those buttons. And the reason why he did that, no doubt, and I don't even think this, eh, don't take no prophetic. This is just really a clear-cut understanding of things that God has even done in the Bible. Uh, to let us realize that he wants us to see something. He needs us to understand it. And then he needs us to act on it. You know, practical application is what you get from the Bible. And then you get to walk out practical application in practical application. And everybody, virtually everybody anyway, said what happened to that man and how he was killed was dead wrong. And then mouths slowly started saying, let's fix this. Mm-hmm. And then people realized what it was going to take to fix it. And then that kind of changed the conversation. And then, of course, it didn't help that we had Candace Owens and stuff like that <laughs> coming out. And people can, you know, oh, that, yeah, that, that one voice, that's a representation for all black people. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice, yeah. nice, nice, nice. Honestly, there's a line in the same moment because we know for a fact that if we are in God, uh, that we can trust no matter what. As a matter of fact, was to talk about um, let's go back to that government stuff for a second. Uh, where is it? 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 Of course, I'm doing it again. I know that's me. Um, no, like Keller talks about it appears, you know, he talks about the Bible shows believers as holding important posts in pagan governments. So we can have that conversation as well. But it says, think of Joseph and Daniel, Daniel in the Old Testament. Well, you got to remember what Daniel did. You know, Daniel was defiant of pagan processes and he'd continued to pray. You know, and he wasn't outlandish about it. He wasn't, let's, yeah, let's have this conversation. He wasn't, we have to defend our religious rats. Okay, yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't any of that. He just went home and prayed. And then he got in trouble for it. And it was supposed to cost him his life. But it didn't. 
you know, so if I'm taking any practical application from that story is that I just need to go ahead and continue trusting God and going home yeah, and praying yeah, and trusting that as I continue to make the right decisions, he will be my provider in those situations. But we're not seeing that. We're seeing something completely different. And what we're seeing is not biblical. No. So, you know, that's, I think that's, that's kind of my point in this is, you know, it says Christians should be involved politically as a way of loving our neighbors whether they believe as we do or not. And again, this is why I love Keller because he's going to tell you like it is. And that's the thing that we've been talking about for the past doggone month or so anyway. We're not going to agree with everybody. I don't have a problem with not seeing eye to eye with people. <laughs> Name of the show. Hey. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't have a problem with that. But what I do have a problem with is the way that people are mismanaging the relationship process. Yeah. And completely being voidant of what the real art of conversation should consist of. You know, I'm tired of people trying to impose their philosophical will on me, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm going to let them know real quick that that's not going to happen. Playboy, I'm sorry. That's not, that's not the cloth that I'm cut from. <laughs> um, but, but do know that I'm still going to do it in love. As a matter of fact, I've, I've, um, I've, con I've readopted my, my three comment rule, especially on like Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> Where I'll make three comments. I will show you how I might agree with one part of what you said, but I'm going to shut the rest of your stuff down because it's absolutely illegitimate. It is not biblical because, of course, I'm always talking to some Christian who just swears that they know <laughs> that if I vote for such and such and so and so, or even if I even talk about the possibility of it, then I'm dealing with, you know, whatever, baby murder or, you know, border wall, but I, whatever. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. But I'll give you three statements of mine. And then after that, you are no longer worth my time. And I got to turn you over to the Lord, homeboy. Um, <laughs> you know, and so, I mean, because I'm, I'm serious, like you're, you're not going to find reconcile. You're not going to find resolve. You're not even going to find compromise with these individuals. So, you know, what is the point except to make sure that you have made your state clear or your statement clear? If you do that, keep it moving, man. Well, first of all, to your three comment thing you know it's a good rule to have except that your comments are so much longer than most so <laughs> so to be fair your three comments are like the normal man's 15 so i just want to put that out there um i mean not on twitter though that's just 140 <laughs> characters twitter you're limited uh but you know you mentioned that some of the struggles that are going on right now is that there's too many christians who are following non-biblical you know, motives or things that just don't line up. And what frustrates me more than people telling me what their opinions are is that when they go to back up those opinions or back up their beliefs, they're simply not taken with the proper context or okay. taken with, you know, bits and pieces. You know, the one that comes up the most that I see you know, when you're talking about like an issue like abortion, okay, you just said something about, you know, killing the babies. The thing that I constantly see about that and now this, this weird distraction of the human trafficking thing, and I'm not saying that that doesn't go on, but what I am telling you is that statistically, the numbers that people are starting to believe in are completely misrepresented and taken completely out of context. So I'm not saying that it's not a thing. I've donated to A21. You know, my my wife thinks Christine Kane and what she's doing is a tremendous thing. Don't get me, don't get it twisted. It's a real thing that's going on, but not to the levels that people are starting to buy into. And there's a reason for that. It's being propagandized, which is a terrible thing. But the thing that I keep hearing time and time again 
Christians go to. And this is where they actually are using the Bible as a justification for acting the way they're acting, believing the way they're believing. And I keep hearing Proverbs 6.16 come up over and over and over about the six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable, and they say the shedding of innocent blood. Well, what's crazy about that is they jump over the first two, which are haughty eyes and a lying tongue, and then they avoid all the other ones, which are a heart that deceives uh, or devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now, I don't want to get political. Yes, I do. <laughs> if we're going to talk about what candidates we're being presented with, because I will tell you right now that we do not have a perfect candidate in this country. We do not have a good candidate in this country. I'll be perfectly honest. I don't think either one of them are a good candidate. And they certainly don't represent the American common place in life, common viewpoint, common perspective of life. Okay. Both of these men are very aged. They're both very comfortable with their wealth. They're both white. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's not even pretend that they are two guys cut from different cloths. Okay. They're cut from the same cloth in a lot of ways. But the fact is, is that one of them is being completely dismissed by the Christians because of uh, an issue where they take one of these seven things and hold it as superior over the other six things. And they don't even talk about those, which clearly boy, boy, the boy. other one is 100% doing time and time again. And all you have to do, I don't have to use articles from the Atlantic that tell me that he said things about soldiers. I don't even have to believe that that's true. And part of me, I'm kind of on the fence because I think that that's a little bit of a ridiculous thing for him to say. I don't even know if I believe that that article is true. But the fact is, is you can easily look at his Twitter, his own words, and pick out the other six things. So if there are seven things that God hates, you don't get to just pick one, Christians. That's not how that works. You have to go with all of them. And the bottom line is, when there's one man we know who's been married to the same woman his whole life, has committed himself to public service, has been a devout Catholic who literally goes to church on Sundays. <laughs> and the other one is not. And the other one is constantly lying, which are provable, constantly devising wicked schemes, constantly stirring up conflict by calling people names. And I mean, over and over again, just being divisive. You cannot just simply dismiss that because those are the other six things. Let's not forget that. We can't this is where I get really frustrated because we misuse what the Bible's telling us. Just like when people get mad when, some, when the media will misquote somebody or take a soundbite, that's what you're choosing to do. And you're choosing to do it with God's word to justify what you believe. That's not going to get you anywhere good. Yeah, it's not. That's pretty much all I got to say about that. I think you, you've, um, you've broken that down enough. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's, it's, it's all good. It's all good. You know, I, we could... You know, honestly, uh, we could we could go forever. Yep, yeah, yeah, all yeah. night talking yeah. about this doggone topic. But the reason that we talked about it was to set the table because we do feel that there is somebody worth talking about. You know, we don't necessarily need to go into length about it per se. Um, but we recently lost a uh, Supreme Court justice, right, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who obviously does not align politically with the traditional evangelical Christian values. But we set the table by sharing that, that last article to let you know that nobody's going to be perfect. 
And there are things to be celebrated from people who may not even be Christians, okay? It doesn't mean that there isn't good uh, and, and quality things that can be found in, in anyone. Again, God loves everybody and gives them a purpose whether they uh, you know, choose to follow him or not. So we can't right. just dismiss that. <laughs> Ginsburg, you know, I I never had a chance. I I just watched that movie last year, the movie that was based on her life. I don't remember when it came. It could have been last year also, but yeah, I think it was uh, two years. I think it was eighteen. Yeah, because now it's like the first thing that you see on Netflix. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I was I was completely enamored with everything that that woman was able to do and and overcome and and fight through and then you know just overstand ultimately that. That was a, a big eye-to-eye moment in itself. And so, you know, I, I definitely plan on watching it again. But, you know, I just, uh, you know, dealing with everything that, I, you know, context, of course, everything the women had to deal with at that particular point in time yeah. in American history. Uh, and she decides to go and get a law degree in the process. <laughs> like, you know, in a, in a time where women weren't going to get law degrees. You know, it's it's one of those things where, I just, I recognize that, you know, the face of adversity is something that people can either look at and just kind of cower under and hope that it goes away, or you can kind of look at and you can face the pain and you can face everything that comes with the pain. Um, and then you can kind of take that and and move on. And, you know, we were like, we were talking last week, uh, not last week, two weeks ago, uh, to Josh mm-hmm. about everything that he had gone through and I mean, I meant that statement when I made it, you know, I've seen stronger give up on less. And, you know, I mean, Josh is awesome, but I think Ruth kind of beats him just just a little (laughs) bit. Well, I mean, we call this podcast uh, Eye to Eye, Inspired to Inspire. And, you know, regardless of of politics, when you look at somebody who overcame the amount of things that she overcame and, you know, in a lot of ways, she's in in kind of in line with with the Rosa Parkses or the Jackie Robinson. She was breaking down barriers that at the time women just weren't allowed to really be in those forums. Or if they were, they were not being taken seriously. And, you know, if if we're gonna talk a lot about racial issues, I think that gender equality is is just as strong a thing. And without her paving the way for gender equality. Racial equality isn't something that comes along. And without racial equality, gender equality doesn't come along. These are things that have worked kind of hand in glove for for years. And that's why we saw so much of those movements kind of working together throughout the 60s and 70s and, you know, and continuing on today. I mean, we we saw a few years back, the Me Too movement came along where we were seeing just how much women were being taken advantage of and men were abusing their power and and doing things to just oppress women in ways that are you know quite frankly unspeakable and now we have that falling in line and and pretty much happening right around the same time that uh you know Colin Kaepernick decided to kneel for the first time these things have always kind of come hand in hand and she's uh, one of the figures that you kind of have to tip your cap to for where we are at least with some of the strides that we've made in in both of those arenas to date. Yeah, 100%. And and my bad, because my dog won't stop barking over here. So that's always fun. That's okay. But um, I'll just just end that dog, (laughs) you know. (laughs) On the podcast. Don't get Michonne mad at me. I mean, no, no, it's all good. It's all good. (laughs) Little Bear just wants to be a doggone celebrity. 
Uh, this is exactly why I won't give him an Instagram. You know how some people have like them pet Instagram pages? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's not happening over here. No. Nah. He would flourish. Yeah, exactly. That's why it's not going down because he would probably know it too. Yeah. And then he would, I'm like, bro, you ain't paying no bills in this house. You better. Anyway, no, I will. I, I was reading through some stuff, you know, because you never know what people have done until people bring up the most random nonsense. And this is one of those things that just kind of had me like, I'm sorry, she was doing what? Um, and so I read this, uh, something that came up and said, until her death on September 18th, uh, Ginsburg worked with a personal trainer in the Supreme Court's exercise room. And for many years, listen to this, could lift more than both justices Breyer and Kagan. <laughs> yeah. She's a bad woman, man. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, right? No. Like, no, until the 2018 term, Ginsburg had not missed a day of oral arguments, uh, not even when she was undergoing chemotherapy for pancreatic cancer after surgery for colon cancer or the day after her husband passed away in 2010. Justice Ginsburg proved time and time again that she was a force to be reckoned with, and those who doubted her capacity to effectively complete her judicial duties needed only to look at her record and oral arguments where she was until her death of the most avid questioners on the bench. The Supreme Court issued a press release on September 19th regarding her death. Bro, like, really? I mean, first of all, you know, I hate to say it, but this is kind of patterned out too. again, 2020, because we just got finished talking about Chadwick and everything he was able to do in such a compressed amount of yeah. time. Also yeah. battling the not the same exact cancer, but cancer nonetheless. Yeah. And so, you know, I just if we're looking at this from the, the inspiration narrative standpoint, like I just really feel like I've done jack squat. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't care about the amount of stuff I accomplish. I'm working on things right now. I've been encouraged. You know, I'm inspired. I'm trying to write this book. I get to run a whole organization now. And, you know, we're, we're trying to do this podcast. I'm trying to teach students the right way to rightly divide the word of God so that they don't. Never mind. Um, and <laughs> then I, I listen to all this and I'm just like, well, I think I just hit snooze all all the days of my life. I just really need to get my life together. Like, uh, I, I hear you there, man. It's uh, you know, that's why comparing yourself to others is a slippery slope. You know, it's uh, some people are are going to be world changers, and some of us are going to have an impact that we may never actually realize. But you know, we keep doing what he calls us to do, and that realization will come. Yeah, but that's still that that lived in more than than Briar and Kagan though. That. That right there. <laughs> she probably lived more than I could. <laughs> that's also very unfortunately true, most likely. Hey. God dang. And you've got a gym. Thanks. Come on, bro. Yeah, I know. I have it. That's And now you've got gym hair and a headband. So uh, like no, I feel like you officially headband. really have no excuse, man. I know. After uh, our last uh, interview, I'm thinking about working out just my left side. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, bro. Oh my gosh. If you start what yo, really if never mind. <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you are a champion. And uh, may you indeed have some form of eternal rest. I pray that your soul is right and that you are where you need to be. Yeah. You know, because for what it's worth, that's that's the other reason why we do eye to eye. So. It is. So off the, uh, off the legacy of a uh, great and world-changing woman in many, many ways, we will now go into the <laughs> constant, <laughs> utter pettiness and lack of world-changing ways of this week's uh, Petty Eddie. And Jordan, go ahead, because this was your nominee 
please share who this week's Petty Eddie is. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and to that extent, I need you to just kind of magically come up with a white folk wonder off of this one. I'm pretty sure there, there, there's got to be one in here somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. Um, yeah, the, the way your mind works anyway. So, yeah, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt because we're talking about an article that's coming out of the New York Post, but there's some stuff that came before that anyway. Um, everybody's favorite friend, Skip Bayless, saying that in supreme sarcasm. You know, I think it was last week, uh, came out and said something uh, against uh, Dallas Cowboys quarterback, uh, Dak Prescott, who was speaking on uh, some ills that he had been going through in the middle of COVID-19 and uh, pretty much made some some bold, brash statements that were highly insensitive, uh, really had absolutely no sympathy, no empathy because of the quote-unquote position that he is in and got a lot of backlash. And, you know, I, I want to kind of incorporate another Petty Eddie into this, but you told me not to, but I'm just <laughs> going to have to do it a little bit. Um, and that's actually Fox Sports, because in the midst of all this, uh, they just released something today. And again, like I said, it's in the New York Post that says, uh, Skip Bayless nearing a raise after Dak Prescott controversy. And so I'll just read it real quick. Uh, Skip Bayless isn't going anywhere. Following his widely rebuked declaration that he felt no sympathy for Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott disclosing his battle with depression, the undisputed host is in line for a new deal with Fox Sports, according to Front Office Sports. The deal which had not yet or yeah had not yet been finalized would see Bayless continue in his current role and possibly even earn him a pay bump listen to this on his 6 million dollar salary oh that's impressive Sheesh. he gets 6 million dollars to be yeah a jerk uh Bayless comments came in response to Prescott's appearance on in depth with Graham Benzinger uh where he discussed his struggles with anxiety depression and sleeplessness during the pandemic. Prescott's brother died by suicide in the spring, and the quarterback said the experience further worsened his own mental health issues. Bayless responded to Prescott's revelation by essentially telling him to keep his issues to himself. So, you know, when I when I first heard about this last week, I was just like, there's no way that he really came out of his mouth like this. There's got to be some consequences. There's got to be some repercussions. And instead, this man is about to get a raise. <laughs> like, who? How? Because, you know, we, we, we've, we've had this conversation before, especially concerning uh, the plight of African-American males and how there is an expectation that we just really don't cry. Um, and not just that, but that we feed into the understanding of this assumption and that we teach our young men that we're not supposed to cry and that this is supposed to be emotionally healthy. And it's not. Right, right. So, so a black man that is touted, and by the way, just going to completely pass over the fact that they did what they did to my Falcons this week. <laughs> you know, he comes out and he admits this. You know, he voices this. And, and voicing it, especially in today's climate, is something that will either get you jeered or get you cheered and revered. Or, or even feared in certain instances, because when you can do this, and you know we've talked about this, this this makes you virtually untouchable, because you are able to express your weaknesses. And we know in the Bible, weaknesses uh, constitute God showing His strength. You know that is a testament. That is a testimony uh, to us being able to say, "Yo, God, I'm not in control. I need you." You know, 
Jesus take the wheel, all, all the all those good things. Skip Bayless comes out of nowhere and basically tell you know it may not even have anything to do with race. You know, I little I like to see what happened if if Romo was still in that position and maybe he started crying and talking about stuff like this. But I think it would have gone a lot differently. I'm not yeah. I'm not even kidding you. Um, no, I don't remember what I don't remember what Skip thought about Romo specifically. Um, I can't remember because he probably hated him and loved him all at the same time. Because to be honest with you, I don't have any time for Skip Bayless. The whole reason he's getting raised is because you can say utter nonsense and people listen and people click and people react. And that's why he's getting a raise. Um, You know, from what I've heard off camera, he's actually a good dude. He's basically playing a wrestling character, Uh, you know, but, but people buy into it. And I just stopped listening to that kind of stuff a long, long time ago when I realized that the whole formula was no matter what you're talking about, and no matter what the show is, if it's Mike and Mike or whatever, uh, you bring up a topic and they both pick a side regardless of whether or not they believe it. And that's, I don't have time for that. Like, there, there's nothing that's being solved. And, you know, sp- sports commentary in general is hilarious. You know, Skip's the same guy that would say, well, if you haven't put your hand in the dirt, then what do you know? And meanwhile, he's never put his hand in the dirt. Like, but he's, he lacks all self-awareness. <laughs> And just doesn't care. And the fact that he's coming to somebody because they chose to be vulnerable. And we've talked about vulnerability being a strength. It's not a weakness. Vulnerability allows you to address flaws that you might have with people that you trust and then make those flaws strengths or at least get them from a point where they're no longer a weakness. And that's basically what Dak did. And, uh, you know, I commend the guy. I think... It, you know, you asked me to figure out a white folk wonder and I was kind of thinking about it and there's two different ways that I can go. So one way is how does the black community think about kind of this millennial generation or this these people who are more in touch with kind of their feelings and expressing their opinions? Um, because we know that there's a lot of uh, white, especially on the conservative side, would be, you know, facts don't care about your feelings, you know, the, those types of things. Um, I personally think that that's nonsense. I think we should all be allowed a space to talk about our feelings because that allows us growth. Or we could go ahead and talk about how does the black community feel about the number of phenomenal black quarterbacks that we have in the NFL right now? (laughs) So which one would you rather talk about? (laughs) Well, you know, um, let my emotions dictate. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I can answer the second one real quick and real easy. First of all, yeah, dope. Yeah. Okay. We, we, we've uh-huh. got that one knocked out. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And uh, you know what? Just just leave a little bear in here. Everybody little bear is fine. Little it's bear. just the soundtrack just, just, of Jordan's life. <laughs> yeah, my doc on life. He was doing that at like 2 o'clock in the morning last night. I was ready to kill Ooh, the kid. No. Uh, anyway, I would never do that. Um, the spirit of the Lord and Peter be upon me. Yeah, that was just uh, a saying, everybody. <laughs> just a figure right. of speech. <laughs> Actually, no, you know, in my household, I, I feared my father would, we, we talked about this too, man, this just bringing up everything this mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, if, if I'm giving a real and honest answer, um, especially having spent 10 years working in high schools, um, you know, I would say, honestly, I think that it's a step in the right direction, but I still think that it's a bit of a social stigma. Yeah. And there, because a lot of the, the managing of emotions is still not done properly. 
Sure. Um, I still think that it's it's a it's a bit of a mix because you're you're looking at generations clash. You're looking at my generation, which um, even though I am a millennial, I I was rolling fresh off of Gen X, and I was taught very quickly to get real tough. Well, it depends on the calendar you look at. Yeah. Like I'm I'm a Gen Xer because most of them that I see are like 82, 83. But there are some that I see where it's like 79. Um, right. But I, I know that I identify, you know, probably 60% as an Xer and 40% as a millennial because I, I am more in touch with my feelings and emotions. And, you know, that criticism about people not being able to really work through their emotions properly. Well, that's because we're not allowing them to work through them. Like we want them to have a better understanding of how to manage their emotions. And yet at the same time, don't talk about your emotions. Like that's not how it works. <laughs> right. No, it's really not. But I mean, that's the whole thing though. Like it's, it's a part of, of two different phenomena from two completely different cultures. Yeah. Um, and I think that, yeah, we hit the point where it clashed. Now on the other side though, I think that one of the things that I can appreciate um, it's a gift and it's a curse really. But if I can say I, I can appreciate it is that you don't have to worry about what a lot of, uh, millennial African-American males are thinking. Um, and I think that we can use that to our advantage. One of the things that's been on my mind heavily, especially right now is, you know, we've, we've had a couple of conversations offline, really hoping to have some more online about mass incarceration. Yes. Um, and been studying everything that Dominique Gilliard's been talking about and uh, some of the partnerships that he's made, connections concerning restorative justice. And restorative justice really is just that. Um, it is the the restoring, the reconciling of relationships, not even if they're direct relationships, like the, you don't have to know the person, but if somebody is wrong, you, instead of it's, uh, instead of it being the person versus the state, it's actually the person versus the person. So the person that you have wronged uh, is the person that you must face. And, you know, it's not that you won't probably see jail time, but you will also have the opportunity to recognize the wrong that you did, yeah. realize how it impacted the person that you did it to. And then be able to address it yourself. You know, what are you getting from this? Why did you do it? Um, and the why behind the what in a lot of instances, especially with stuff like that, is that people needed to do it. Like they, you know, needed the money because they had to take care of something in their household because they ain't had no bread and they got little brothers and sisters so they have children that they got to feed. Like yeah. that is actually one of the responses that you will hear most frequently. Mm-hmm. It's mind blowing. And that's a two-way street, right? That's, that provides healing on both sides. That provides forgiveness on both sides. That's the exact point. And yeah. they've seen, they've done studies across the globe, but they've also done studies in the U.S. And they've seen like 20 to 30 to 40% reduction in crimes in certain areas that actually practice this. You know, so I'm really hoping that they continue to kind of bump this up. And even in places like um, Louisiana, where crime is extremely high, uh, they've used it and there's been huge percentage decreases. So, you know, I'm really praying that they begin to to implement these uh, these processes uh, a lot more. But, you know, kind of getting back to, to, to the main point, though, um, I think that one of the, this might even be like, you know, kind of a God, God thing in the, in, in the situation right now, um, is that we can utilize this as we're having these conversations about things like racial conciliation or even uh, just about, um, having to operate in a society that really is not for the justice of uh, the black and brown individual as much as it needs to be. In some places, there's more than others. You know, there's, I, I say there's a curse in that too, and, and I'll give you the curse real quick. 
um, is the fact that a lot of millennials, especially African-American millennials, still have the same sense of entitlement that a lot of millennials have. And so when you put that in there, it it becomes a bit of a cluster at times. But uh, from an emotional standpoint, um, I do think that it's excellent because it gives us the opportunity to analyze, you know, what we should have been doing in the first place. Yeah. Uh, And I also love the fact that if we can continue the same process that we're doing with them, then the generation that comes after them will be even more open about their feelings um, and being able to increase uh, EQ, emotional quotient, you know, and just really deal with their emotional intelligence. uh, Because I think that that's one of the biggest reasons that we have a lot of the issues that we do in these neighborhoods, you know, people not knowing how to process their emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we were talking about that tonight, um, you know, second Timothy one, seven, you know, we were talking about self-control specifically because that's one of the things we're reading in class right now. You know, we always think about self-control from a sin standpoint or from a gotta be more like God standpoint. <laughs> uh, but we forget that, um, I think it's the, ori- in the original language, the wording in second Timothy one, seven is God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love and of self-control. Um, And so, you know, we never look at self-control from a fear standpoint. And that's one of the things that really needs to be approached just a little bit more because um, the anxiety of the uncertainty that a lot of African-American males and females, of course, uh, face causes them sometimes to make the moves that they make. It's not because they're evil. It's not because of anything like that. It's simply because if you don't know where your next meal is coming from, if you don't know if you're going to have a roof over your head, if you don't know all these other things, then you you sometimes have to take the calculated risk. You know, and that's one of the things we've been trying to teach folks. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, my hope and my prayer is that, you know, to kind of roundabout answer the question, we can take this new season and utilize that. And also in conjunction with it, uh, begin the real process of holistically restoring uh, those elements in society that try to keep folks down. Yeah. And, and in the process... Um, continue to educate, continue to build empathy for those who need uh, to build empathy and continue to really form the partnerships that are necessary uh, to revitalize those communities that have been damaged by these mindsets and these ideologies because it's a long time coming. <laughs> uh, we, we, know, we know that for sure. But you know, even if it's not about it's a long time coming, it's really from the Christian standpoint, um, recognizing that if we are all family members in the body of Christ, no matter what somebody's skin color is, if you see a family member suffering, what would you do if that was your actual family member? Yeah. Like, would you go out of your way to talk about how Uncle so-and-so really needs to stop hitting the sauce? Or <laughs> when you have a real heart, are you doing something to make sure that um, that is not a problem that he has to deal with again? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Even if it's tough love, you know, tough love is necessary too. And I think that's part of restorative justice. Like I said, if somebody's actually committed the crime, then maybe there is some incarceration needed. But in the process, let's figure out how to make sure when they come out, when they do reentry, uh, when we can restore their, you know, restore their rights, do everything to make sure that they know that they are still a citizen, you know, that they're not somebody who is condemned by society because. <laughs> are you there? <laughs> I think you might still... Yeah, I think I'm back now. There you go. Okay, okay. you're back. You're back. Yeah, my sucker said, you are not online. <laughs> my sucker said, you got kicked offline, bro. This might be the podcast God's going, okay, that's enough of that. We were talking about Dak Prescott. How did we end up with ex-cons? 
Dak got some tattoos like he might be. No, I'm just kidding. No. Um, no, I, I, I I'm proud of Dak. I think anybody in that situation needs to speak out when they're dealing with struggles because the more human that we see our potential heroes or the people we look up to, um, the better off we're going to be. You know, the better off we're going to be. And, you know, I hate to be petty about this, but I was thinking about uh, Skip and I was thinking about how it just seems like such an insensitive thing to do. And, you know, you brought up Romo and I don't, again, I don't know how he handled that, but I can almost guarantee you, if you went back through the archives. When Jessica Simpson broke up with him? No, no, I'm going to, okay. I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to do you one that uh, correlates pretty strongly. I guarantee you, he probably talked glowingly about how courageous Brett Favre was the night that he played on Monday Night Football after the death of his father, even though he would have been struggling with mental stability and depression in that very moment because he just lost his dad. But I guarantee Skip Bayless probably went on glowingly about the courageous effort that Brett Favre put in, even though he would have been dealing with the exact same things that Dak simply spoke to. And I wonder why that might be. You know, I'm afraid because I'm willing to bet you're about to go find it as soon as we finish this. And I'm going to probably have to look it up just to verify. But uh, yeah, no. So Petty Eddie of the Week, uh, he could probably be Petty Eddie every single week. (laughs) Skip Bayless. Uh, Man, really wants Petty Eddie of the Year. Yeah, he does. I mean, I'd be willing to give it to him. I think that, um, yeah, I'm really kind of excited because my, my hope is, and you know, we might even just put this in the atmosphere. I, we can really pull off that round table. I know we got ideas of some people who aren't, well, we got some people who are already begging to be on it. <laughs> so, well, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. I hope we can. Yeah, yeah. Um, that would be awesome. So, yeah, I'm really hoping that we can do that. But, I'm, I'm, you know, we're dead serious here, folks. We had eye to eye. You know, we, we, we completely understand. We get it. You know, you can love Jesus and have your preferences. That's perfectly fine. But sure, man, unless it boils down to, to really bad movie takes, then your preferences are no good here. Yeah, yeah, I guess you got a point. Um, speaking of which, we saw. Uh, it, you know what? It was actually kind of good with that cartoon uh, spy movie that Will Smith was in uh, oh, last yeah. year. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, it was actually pretty good. I don't know if you saw that one, but yeah, I just I um, remember that we needed to redeem Will Smith a lot in your eyes. So. <laughs> Listen, if there's been a cartoon made in the last five years, uh, I may not have sat down to watch it, but I'm sure it's been on in the background and I'm pretty sure that was one of them. Uh, okay. So yeah, I, I didn't sit down and watch it. And pretty good in a cartoon is not going to redeem Will, uh, not only for his IMDb, but also for <laughs> recent events. So yeah. <laughs> Hey, look, man, that wasn't his, yeah, it was kind of his fault, but you know, we, uh, we talked about that yeah. too. Yeah, we talked about that back in what, August? Yeah, which was- Oh, nah, no, 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 it was probably like out. July. Yeah, okay. What is wrong with you, man? Uh, <laughs> <sighs> well, yes. ladies and gentlemen, uh, <laughs> I, yes. I think, yeah, it's about that time. This is when you say, thanks for rocking with us and- uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The delirium is setting in and it, yep. yeah, whatever. Uh, thank you once again for tuning in to the latest episode. Of course, as always, please don't forget to like, sh- subscribe, share, all that love. Please leave comments. You know, somebody gave us our first four on uh, on Apple Podcasts. Oh, to that extent, um, apologies in advance because apparently some of our episodes are acting up. Uh, so we might have to talk to our platform provider who puts it on all the other platforms. Um, so yeah, if we sound real weird, that ain't our fault. Well, I mean, 
kind of, sort of. We, we just weird, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, whatever. I just wanted to go and put that out there. Uh, so yeah, if you've heard a, an interesting episode, don't hesitate uh, to contact either myself or Devin. Let us know. And we'll uh, make sure that we take that to our people so we can get that thing corrected. Uh, but again, yeah, thank you once again, most definitely for tuning in. Um, and please, as always, don't forget to be inspired to inspire because that's what the inspired one does. I am Jordan. I am Devin. And we will holler at you next time. Uh, don't forget, uh, please, because the statistics are still bewildering, wash your hands. Wear your mask. And it means my son can go back to school, please. The, the, yeah. Look. <laughs> We, that's another conversation we need to have because my wife is a teacher. I know. So, yeah, but she doesn't teach first and, grade. And, and so Devin we're good. Are, are completely in agreement with everything. No, trust me, we ain't. No, we're but, not. Uh, but we still love each other. See, see how that works out? That can see? happen, people. That's, Did y'all know that? That's fine. See? Crazy. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, yeah, all this stuff that we just said, and now we're going to actually end the podcast. God bless y'all. Love you. We'll holler at you next time. Peace. Inspired One Enterprises. Engineering by Devin Chandler. Editing and production, Jordan Brown. Marketing and media, Justice Swangle. Thanks again for listening to the latest and greatest episode. Please don't forget to follow us on FB, Inspired One Enterprises. On Insta at I underscore the number two underscore I podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave five stars and a generous review because you love us and want us to be successful as we do you. Thank you once again for rocking with us. And remember, be inspired to inspire because that's what the inspired one does. Peace.